Take a look at our flow chart. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. Sorry, boss. Director Michael Bay is known for his bombastic theatrical extravaganzas. While his 2013 movie Pain and Gain did not involve giant space robots or Miami supercops and only had a comparatively modest $30 million budget, it still managed to incorporate many typical Bay elements. It's noisy, excessive, vibrant, sweaty, crass, overloaded with testosterone, and a bit too long. But unlike most of his other films, it's based on a real-life story. But does Pain and Gain match up to actual events, or is Bay just pushing a lot of iron? Get yourself pumped and find out what the fuck really happened to this movie. Pain and Gain is based on a Miami New Times article written by Pete Collins about a group of criminal bodybuilders known as the Sun Jim Gang. There's Adrian Dorball, played by Anthony Mackie, Paul Doyle, played by Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and the leader of the pack, Danny Lugo, portrayed by Mark Wahlberg. Their insidious mission is to kidnap, torture, and extort millions out of businessman Victor Kershaw, played by Tony Shalhoub. Of course, things spiral out of control and nothing goes according to plan. It's the summer of 1994 in Miami, Florida, and Daniel Lugo is a personal trainer and general manager at the meathead mecca known as Sun Jim. The gig was a blessing, as no other job would give him a chance due to his criminal record. Turns out that Lugo had already been to prison for operating a fraudulent money loaning operation, stealing hundreds of thousands of dollars from unsuspecting victims. Though the specifics of his past crimes are vague in the movie, the general nature of them lines up with reality. Unlike the film, the real Lugo was not broke, but was actively involved in a lucrative Medicare scam, along with a variety of Ponzi schemes that earned him quite a reputation at the gym. The movie version of Lugo is inspired by a motivational speaker to be a doer, and becomes convinced that the only way to obtain his version of the American dream is to kidnap and extort Victor Kershaw, a rich, arrogant businessman who hires Lugo as a personal trainer. While Kershaw is a fictional character, he's based on Mark Schiller, who was kidnapped and tortured by the real-life Sun Jim gang. Like in the movie, Schiller was an accountant and owner of a deli franchise, as well as a number of other business ventures. However, Schiller was never a Sun Jim client like Kershaw was. Instead, Lugo and Schiller were introduced by mutual friend and weightlifter Jorge Delgado, who worked for Schiller and was a close family friend. Delgado wanted to get Lugo a job at Schiller's accounting firm, but he didn't care for Lugo's personality and denied him a job. Delgado and Schiller eventually had a falling out, which acted as the catalyst for the entire scheme. The real Schiller's demeanor also greatly differed from his movie counterpart, so much that he sued Paramount for portraying him as a deplorable, sleazy, rude, abrasive, womanizing braggart. You know who invented salad? Poor people. Bay was most likely trying to make the Sun Jim gang seem more sympathetic, since torturing and extorting a genial family man like the actual Schiller would make them incredibly unlikable. But that's showbiz, baby. Alright, that's good, that's good. To help with his mission, Lugo recruits Adrian Dorball, a fast food cook who also works part-time at the gym. Dorball desperately needs money, and is convinced by Lugo that he deserves a better life. Furthermore, Dorball's constant steroid use has made him impotent, and the money could help pay for expensive injections to get his libido functioning again. All these motivators in the movie are actually accurate, with the exception of his fictional love interest who works at the medical clinic. The real Dorball was romantically involved with a fitness enthusiast in a rocky relationship much different from the passionate one depicted on screen. The movie's gang is rounded out by Paul Doyle, an ex-con and former drug addict who changed his ways after finding God. Doyle is initially hesitant to join the crew, but with no home and no job, he's forced to come aboard, agreeing only after Lugo assures him that no one will get hurt. Listen, I watch a lot of movies, Paul. I know what I'm doing. But Paul Doyle never existed. He's a composite character, representing several real people, mainly the previously mentioned Jorge Delgado and another member of the real gang, Carl Weeks. Ironically, both of those men were notably thinner and weaker than The Rock's formidable physique. 
Jesus Christ himself has blessed me with many gifts. One of them is knocking someone the f out. Doyle's backstory in the film most closely resembles Weeks. Also an ex-convict, reformed drug addict, and born-again Christian, living in New York with his wife and two kids. Unable to find work in New York, his wife suggested he go to Miami and stay with her cousin, who worked at Sun Gym and introduced him to Lugo. With the gang assembled and the plan worked out, Lugo, Doyle, and Dorball go to a weapons shop to purchase spyware and tasers for the job. Under the guise of security guards working for a rock band, they're able to get all the necessary gear. Surprisingly, this is 100% true. After obtaining their weapons of choice, the Sun Jim gang sets off to abduct Victor Kershaw, but it's harder than they anticipated. It takes three attempts before they're finally able to kidnap Kershaw outside his deli and take him to their hideout. While pain and gain doesn't strictly adhere to the truth of the abduction attempts, it actually isn't too far off. In reality, the gang attempted to kidnap Schiller in at least seven failed attempts, including once on Halloween with a plan to dress as ninjas, hence the costumes in the film. They even tried snagging him on the Palmetto Freeway during rush hour, a surprising omission from the film considering Bay's love of cinematic vehicular mayhem. After these attempts, the real Lugo was fed up and temporarily dropped out of the plan. But Doorball and Weeks continued and recruited Big Mario Sanchez, a bouncer, weightlifter, and generally intimidating man. The crew cornered Schiller at his deli, much like in the film, and tased and beat him until he was unconscious, then brought him to Delgado's warehouse. In an effort to hide his identity, the movie Lugo uses a horrendous fake Spanish accent, but Kershaw remembers his awful cologne from their training sessions. When the real Lugo joined them, he never used a fake accent. Although the two men only had one brief meeting, Schiller simply recognized Lugo's voice and figured out it was him, and made the connection to Delgado. The men tortured Kershaw and forced him to sign over all his assets. If anything, the abuse that Schiller actually endured was worse. He was starved, burned, tased, beaten, and blinded for the entire ordeal. The gang even played Russian roulette with him. Schiller claimed that eventually he couldn't remember what his wife and children looked like and genuinely believed he was going to die. The trauma was unbearable, and the fact that the filmmakers played his torment for laughs is one of the many aspects that Schiller took issue with upon seeing the film. In addition to stealing his money, Lugo and the gang forced Kershaw to make a number of scripted calls explaining his disappearance, with the idea that nobody would later ask questions when his money is stolen and he goes missing. The calls Kershaw was forced to make were all fairly accurate to what Schiller had to do. One thing not addressed in the film, Lugo's ex-wife was made the sole beneficiary of Schiller's life insurance policy, meaning the gang would collect another $2 million when they eventually killed him. Doyle is left in charge of watching Kershaw while the others are at work. He treats Kershaw much better than the others, and even tries to baptize him after learning he's Jewish. There is some kernel of truth here, despite Doyle being an amalgam character. Schiller did say that his kindest captor was Carl Weeks, who consistently showed mercy when the others weren't around, although the movie's religious angle was overblown. Lugo needs Kershaw's documents notarized in order to access all the stolen money, and he turns to Sun Jim owner John Meese, a licensed notary. What the f are notaries, man? In exchange for money to sponsor an upcoming gym contest, Meese agrees to notarize all the documents, officially transferring every penny of Kershaw's funds to the Sun Jim gang. That all really happened. Lugo and Dorball decide Kershaw must be killed to protect their identities, so they get him all liquored up, telling him they'll sneak him onto a flight out of the country while actually intending to stage his death to look like a drunk driving accident. Miraculously, he isn't dead, so Lugo moves on to plan B, dousing the car in gasoline and lighting it on fire. Once again, Kershaw somehow survives. Panicking, Lugo coerces a reluctant Doyle to run over Kershaw with the van, but due to his position in the rubble, the vehicle does not crush his skull. Assuming Kershaw is dead and with sirens approaching, the men take off, unaware that their victim is still very much alive. Unbelievably, these events closely mirror reality. The gang pumped Schiller full of booze and sleeping pills until it was time to kill him, and the staged accident in every seemingly exaggerated moment actually happened similar to the film. 
Kershaw wakes up in a hospital a few days later in rough shape. Worse still, the detectives don't believe his story. Kershaw tries to call private detective Ed Dubois, but he's retired and doesn't want to get involved, beyond advising him to get out of the hospital in case the killers try to finish the job. According to Pete Collins' article, the officers thought Schiller's story sounded sketchy at best. The same went for the real Dubois, who was too busy handling security for the upcoming Super Bowl. But Dubois eventually agreed to investigate due to the absurdity of the story, as well as Schiller's credibility. The crew discovers Kershaw is still alive and goes to the hospital dressed in surgeon's garb to kill him. But they get lost in the hospital looking for the ICU, and eventually learn that he's already checked himself out. Again, this is pretty close to what actually happened. The men did wear medical uniforms that Lugo purchased from a supply store, only to get lost in the hospital and abandon the mission. The next day, before trying again, they decided to call the hospital first to check Schiller's status, and learned then that he had already left. Schiller wasn't even in Florida. His sister had ordered an air ambulance to Staten Island to finish his recovery. In the film, Lugo moves into Kershaw's house and befriends his neighbors, claiming he got the house for cheap and assumed Kershaw was tied up in something shady. The reality was an even bigger lie. Lugo told the neighbors that he and his friends were part of the federal government, saying Schiller had been charged with illegal activities, and Lugo and company confiscated his house as a home base to track his activities. Around this time, Lugo starts seeing Serena, an exotic dancer from Romania who came to America literally in the trunk of a car to pursue her acting dreams. Except for her real name being Sabina, this is 100% true. The two started dating after Lugo told her he was a music producer, and before long they were in a full-fledged relationship. What isn't mentioned in the film is that Lugo was also actually married to Dorball's cousin, Lucretia. They even had two kids together. In the film, Serena becomes suspicious of Lugo's strange behavior after finding spyware in his closet. Lugo confesses that he's actually a CIA operative working undercover to take down bad guys. She totally buys the story and even offers to help. Believe it or not, this was all true, and the real Lugo would eventually involve her in two future schemes. Doyle ends up spending his sudden influx of cash on drugs and his new girlfriend, Serena, who Lugo gives to him in the film. In reality, Weeks took his money, bought a BMW, and relapsed on drugs. He actually had a falling out with the Sun Jim gang and bought a gun and feared they might try and kill him. Other real gang member, Jorge Delgado, spent his hard-earned blood money on his family. While the Sun Jim gang enjoys their new lavish lifestyle, the penniless Kershaw is hiding out at a seedy motel. Private investigator Ed Dubois attempts to get closer to Lugo by posing as a new client at the gym, presenting himself as a friend of the missing Kershaw. This encounter spooks Lugo, who tries to convince the rest of the gang to lay low. But Dorball and Doyle have already burned through their shares of ill-gotten profit. Doyle even resorts to robbing an armored truck, which results in one of the movie's more preposterous action sequences. He manages to escape the police, losing a toe in the process. Perhaps unsurprisingly, this entire sequence was created strictly for the movie. In fact, the gang members remained relatively quiet following Schiller's kidnapping. Eventually, Victor Kershaw calls John Meese, accusing him of helping the Sun Jim gang steal all his money. Meese panics and promises to return the money if Kershaw tells him where he's staying. Kershaw refuses and hangs up, but Lugo and Meese star 69 the number. You want to have sex? Press the star key, press the six, and press the nine. And find his hotel. The beefy trio heads there with the intention of killing Kershaw, but he's already fled. It's here Lugo learns that Dubois, his new gym client, is actually a detective investigating the case. Lugo and Dorball later attempt to halt the investigation by killing Dubois at his house, but they rabbit and cop cars arrive. This, again, is all Hollywood fiction. Schiller never contacted Meese, and the gang never went to a motel to kill Schiller. By this point, he was already in Colombia with his family. And they never attempted to kill Dubois, although the detective did claim they were surveilling him. In reality, the whole investigation played out differently. It was Dubois who noticed John Meese was the notary. Strangely enough, Dubois and Meese had gone to the same high school together and were family friends. When he contacted Meese about the whole affair, the notary didn't have a solid excuse. He blamed everything on Lugo and Delgado, and set a meeting between the P.I. and the Sun Jim gang for the following day. Dubois arrived at the meeting, but Lugo and Delgado never showed up. 
Meese then allowed the investigator to search his office, where he found records of illegal checks and transactions the gang had made. All the evidence Dubois needed to put these guys away for good. In the film, Dubois goes to the police immediately, but they won't get involved in what they believe is a drug-related kidnapping. Unfortunately, this is exactly how it played out in real life. Dubois reached out to all his contacts in the police department and the FBI, but no one believed Schiller's story, essentially stonewalling the entire investigation and ensuring the Sun Jim Gang's freedom. But the gang was unaware that they were in the clear, and they needed a new cash cow to milk. This is where Frank Griga, the porn king of Miami, comes into play. A Hungarian immigrant, Griga owned one of the most successful phone sex operations in the entire country. He had a beautiful partner, a big house, and a number of stylish cars. It made him the perfect target for the Sun Jim gang. In the movie, the gang sells Griga on a lucrative investment scheme that would help him break into the foreign market. The following day, Griga and his wife, Christina, go to Dorval's house to discuss business. While Dorval and Doyle distract Christina, Lugo takes Griga to a back room to finalize their deal. But Griga explains that he doesn't have confidence in Lugo and wants to meet the higher-ups. Words are exchanged and a fight breaks out, ending in Griga's death by accidental skull-crushing. Christina discovers what happened and tries to flee, but Dorval pumps her full of horse tranquilizer. This is fairly accurate to the true turn of events, except it was Dorval who got into the fight with Griga, which ended up killing him. The original article mentions that Griga died of severe blunt force trauma to the head, but it suggested that it was not an accident like in the film. Lugo tries to salvage the failed extortion attempt by goading a safe combination out of the drugged Christina. He and Doyle head to Griga's house to empty the safe, only to discover the combo doesn't work. They call Dorval to get the right numbers, but learn that he drugged her again, leading to a fatal overdose. Aside from the fictional Doyle and his toe, and Lugo actually needing the passcode to get into the house, this is close to reality. Lugo and Dorball quickly work to clean up their crime. It's a chaotic scene in the movie, but in real life, the men were not in that much of a rush. In fact, Dorball actually left the bodies in his house overnight while he slept in the next room, and it was days before they started cleaning blood off the walls. The men also called Jorge Delgado to help take care of the bodies. They hid Griga's body in a couch and Christina's in a box and hauled them off to Delgado's warehouse for dismemberment. Lugo and Dorball visit Home Depot to buy tools for body disposal, including an electric chainsaw. A comedy of errors then finds them in need of a new saw. This isn't far from the truth. They initially bought a gas-powered chainsaw but didn't know how to operate it and burned out the motor. Dorball and Lugo went back to get a new one, while Delgado stayed behind to keep an eye on the bodies. In the film, Lugo severs the dead couple's hands and instructs Doyle to burn them in order to get rid of the fingerprints. When Lugo and Dorball later find Doyle barbecuing the hands outside, they promptly escort him back into the warehouse. Shockingly, this actually happened, as the movie literally points out, except that Lugo was the one grilling the hands, along with their feet and portions of their skulls. Around this time, Briga's maid arrives at his mansion and calls the police, who almost immediately determined this was the work of the Sun Jim gang. They enlist Dubois to help find the crooks and issue warrants for their arrest. In reality, when the maid showed up, she knew something was wrong but did not call the police, and she didn't find a severed toe. Instead, she called Christina's friend Judy, who had met Lugo a few days earlier and was immediately suspicious of him. The night of the actual murders, Griga and Christina were supposed to meet Lugo and Dorball at a steakhouse to discuss business. Judy went to the restaurant the following day, asking the hostess if they had seen the group. She had not, but a valet down the road said he recognized Griga's Lamborghini, which was parked close to where Dorball and Sabina had townhouses. When Judy went to investigate, she didn't find the Lambo, but she did recognize Lugo's gold Mercedes. She jotted down the license plate and called the police. In the film, the gang disposes of the bodies by putting their dismembered parts into oil drums and dumping them in the marshlands just outside Miami, where they also leave the Lamborghini. But things were actually a lot less straightforward in real life. In a surprising twist of fate, one of Griga's many friends, who also happened to meet Lugo just a few days prior, saw Griga's and Lugo's cars on their way to dispose of the bodies, and he reported it to the cops, essentially sealing their fates. 
The film shows the police arresting the Sun Jim gang pretty much immediately, but it was actually eight days after Griga and Christina's initial disappearance before they caught up with the men. All the perpetrators are caught without much issue, except for Lugo, who flees to the Bahamas to collect Kershaw's secret stash. Dubois, Kershaw, and a small police force fly to the island and apprehend Lugo near the bank. This is all heavily dramatized, as Lugo didn't actually put up a fight with the cops, and Dubois and Schiller were not present for the arrest. But the real Lugo was reportedly impressed with the police turnout, and did ask, Is this all for me? In exchange for a shorter sentence, Jorge Delgado offered a full confession and cooperated completely with the police, much like the fictional Doyle does in the movie. Lugo eventually led the police to the bodies, but they were unable to identify the victims due to a lack of fingerprints, teeth, or feet. As in the film, Christina's body was identified by the manufacturing numbers on her breast implants, the first time in Dade County history that fake breasts helped solve a crime. In the end, Daniel Lugo and Adrian Dorball were sentenced to death for the murders of Griga and Christina. Jorge Delgado was released after serving seven years, and Carl Weeks was given a ten-year sentence. John Meese died in prison. But there was a final twist that the movie oddly chose not to reproduce with the already unsympathetic character of Kershaw. In reality, right after he testified, Mark Schiller was arrested by the FBI for Medicare fraud. After everything else he endured, he was sentenced to 46 months in prison, which was the most lenient sentence possible for the crime. So there's the true story behind Pain and Gain, which had plenty of both. Despite all of Michael Bay's colorful flourishes and flashy action sequences, the events of the film are actually pretty similar to the grim reality of the sordid situation. It must be noted that the families of the victims involved were considerably dismayed over the comedic portrayal of the Sun Jim gang as bumbling buffoons when they were actually dangerous, psychotic men who committed heinous crimes. Nevertheless, it appears that Pain and Gain is, bizarrely enough, more fact than fiction. Thank you for watching. If you like what you see, please subscribe to our Joe Blow Videos channel, tell your friends who like this sort of content, and turn on the bell to receive notifications for all our latest videos. We are an independent company, and we appreciate your support.